Let's go out to Tampa, Florida and talk to this fine gentleman. He's been joining me all season talking Buccaneers football on Mondays. Yes, he's Luke Eastling with Athlon Sports. Luke, how you doing today? Uh, bittersweet, man. Finally, uh, the end of the road for the Bucks, man. But uh, what a run. Can't can't really be disappointed with the way things went, right? All right. What happened yesterday as the Lions are going to move on beating the Buccaneers? I mean, I I think the better football team won. I think it's really as simple as that. I, I think it was a really good football game, back and forth. Both teams had their, their opportunities, had their chances. Um, and I think the better team won. I think the better the, the home field advantage won. I think the, the Lions were the most complete team in the game. I think they're still one of the most complete teams in the league. Play calling on both sides of the ball. I think Ben Johnson and, and Aaron Glenn both called a, a great game. Uh, and the Bucks were close, but not close enough. And I, I think that game was very indicative of where the Lions are as a franchise. And now they're just just an edge ahead. I think the Bucks were were you know scrappy and and did their best. And and I think I think they really they they did the best they could with what they had. Uh, and I think the Lions were just a better football team. All right, here's my thoughts, and I want to get your take. This is the gut reaction 24 hours later here, Luke Easterling. I did not see a pass rush yesterday by the Buccaneers. I think that hurt them. And then in that fourth quarter, Jamel Dean, locally here from Coco, he went down, and I think blood was in the water, and the Lions capitalized. Did you feel that way as well? Yeah, I think I think it really was some attrition there. I think, you know, although you, you, you saw some of the injuries that the, the Lions were playing through as well. Mm. I mean, everybody, nobody's healthy this time of year, right? I think Dean's was bad because anytime you have like a hip or a back or a rib or whatever it was, he, he was clear he could not move. I mean, he couldn't even sit down properly, uh, even on the cart on the way out. He couldn't even really, uh, he, he couldn't sit like a normal, like a normal person could yeah. sit. So I, I don't think that, uh, again, that, that was a huge blow to them because, it's not just about not having Dean on the field. Now you have to move Zion McCollum to the other corner, and you can't move him around like the Bucks did against Philly where they had him playing in the slot. They had him playing deep as a safety. And so it impacted the rest of, uh, of the defense. And, again, I just think they ran out of gas there at the end. I think they were, they were close, but I think, that, again, the Lions were just a better team. They executed better for four quarters. Bucks had their chances, couldn't take full advantage of them. Uh, you had the dropped pick. Dean dropped the pick on that first drive. That, that yeah. could have had a, a big impact on the way that game started. Um, just again, missed opportunities. The, the defense got tired down there in the second half in the fourth quarter and gave up some big plays and some big drives. Uh, and they just, they just, again, they just, they got outworked for it, I think. It was weird where Lions go up two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. And I think everyone in America's thinking, well, this game's over. No! Then the Bucks go right back down the field, score the touchdown. I don't know what your thoughts are on the two point conversion try. Then they get the ball again! Man, I, I give you credit. The Bucks fought for four quarters. Do you feel that way? Yeah, they really did. And, and again, I, I think the fact that the defense kept giving the offense back the ball, the two point conversion play. I mean, people can can squawk about that, but I mean that's a that's a fairly normal decision in today's NFL world. And I, I hate to refer to the analytics in like a broad sense, like they always do on the TV. But the process by which the, the head coaches make those decisions nowadays. It's pretty common. You know, I don't necessarily agree with it just because I, I would want to stay as close to in the game as possible and going for two before you need to. I, I don't like the, the way that makes me feel as a, as a football strategist. But again, there's, there's numbers that those coaches use to point to that. I don't necessarily put that on Todd Bowles. It's, it's really a decision most coaches in the NFL would have made. Um, but you know, if they make that, 
and the Bucks get the ball back. Now you're thinking, oh, they go down and score touchdown, an extra point wins the game, and that's yeah. kind of the, the thought process behind that too. So, you know, they did not lose the game because they didn't get that two point conversion. There were a lot of things that went into it, but uh, but yeah, I mean, they they kept swinging all the way to the end. Where was the pass interference on the two point conversion call? Where was that? It was awful. I mean, yeah, that was pretty bad. I, I try not to be too much of a homer about that, but it, it definitely could have been called. The only reason I'll, I'm not as mad about that as I should be mm. is probably because Baker Mayfield was also down that he threw the ball away right before he threw the touchdown to, to Rashad White on third and 10 on the previous drive. Um, or, or it might have been that drive. It, you know, whatever, wherever the one was where he threw the screen, it was third and 10 in the red zone. And and uh, on the previous play, Baker Mayfield had kind of like falling down and got rid of the ball, and they did the replay, and his his calf, his whole shin was like down on the ground, and they didn't call it, they didn't challenge it, and the Bucks scored on the next play. So that was a, a gift for the Bucks. The fact that they didn't get the DPI felt like uh, karma, maybe that it just kind of evened out. We're here, Luke Eastling, with Athlon Sports here on a Monday. All right, I will go Homer talk. Um, the Mike Evans catch right before halftime that set up the touchdown, that goes into the Hall of Fame highlight reel. That was sick. Uh, I think Baker in the – was it the touchdown? What was the other one where he threw it about 300 miles an hour and Mike caught it? Was that a touchdown play as well? I, Mike Evans is the man. I, I know you know this, but I will say it again to you, Luke Easterling. He is the man. He is. Yeah, yeah, he is. And I I said this to uh, in our in our family text thread that I always tell you about on, on game days. Yeah. Our, I made it clear that even in a loss, games like that are going to be very beneficial to Mike Evans' Hall of Fame case. Eight catches, 147 yards, and a touchdown. He's got 45 catches for 709 yards and five touchdowns in nine career playoff games. That's more wow. yards per game in a playoff than Jerry Rice has. Um, so, you know, I mean, the fact that he, ne- he didn't even play in a, a playoff game until he was in his seventh season in the NFL – um, and the fact that he's had nine playoff games over the last four years, and, and he's a couple more years like this, and he'll be a thousand-yard receiver in the playoffs. And there's not a ton of those guys. Oh. So yeah, another phenomenal performance from Mike, and, and an easy Hall of Famer, as we all know. They had no answer for him. They had none. He and Evans kept them in the game yesterday. When I just yep. like off the top of my head, Luke, what was the offense? It's Baker scrambling, and then Mike Evans catches the ball. Then Otten's catching some passes. And then mm-hmm. what? And then what else was happening in this game with the offense? I mean, honestly, I think Rashad White ran really well yesterday. He yeah. didn't get as many carries as I would have liked because the game script kind of pushed them out, out out of reach and, and forced them to throw the ball, I think, a little more than they wanted to down the stretch there. But he averaged six yards a carry yesterday. So I, I think they ran the ball as effectively as they have all year. And, again, I think the biggest thing for the Bucks. I know they got a bunch of question marks this year, but mm. – are going into the offseason on paper, right? Some guys are technically free agents that I think everybody knows will be back. And I think the, the vibe in that locker room is we know who's technically not under contract, but I think they have a really, really good idea of who is going to be back, and, and they understand the foundation that they laid this season. Everybody wrote them off, right? Yes. I, I, you know, everybody, this was supposed to be the rebuild year. It was supposed to be a fire sale in the offseason, and then it was supposed to be a fire sale at the trade deadline. It never happened. You know exactly how I feel about this. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here, but like you know, everybody expected this to be the year where oh, Brady's gone. They fall off the cliff. Maybe a couple, you know, they reset. They draft high. They get a quarterback. They get a new head coach, and then we'll see what the next era brings. I mean, that just didn't happen. They they went out and kept the the, the majority of that championship core together, and then added a few pieces here and there. And and Todd Bowles really deserves a lot of credit for the 
the stability culturally in that building that they were able to ride all the way to the divisional round of the playoffs to another division title. And if you look at next year, I mean, if they're able to bring back Baker Mayfield, if they're able to keep Mike Evans, Levante David, a couple of these guys, Tristan Wurst is going to get a new deal. Antoine Winfield is going to get the franchise tag and then a new deal. You know, they're, they're going to be able to bring back most of this team again next year, and you're going to have a second season, a full off season, and then into a second season with Dave Canales and the offense. We are not going to have to be learning on the fly going into the first quarter of the season. I mean, I really feel like they, they believe in that locker room, even after a disappointing loss yesterday, that this was, this was the start of something really special for the next era of Buccaneer football. And if you look on paper, if, if a lot of those guys are able to come back, which, again, I think they will, how are they not the easy favorites to win the division again next year? I don't see how, how else you can look at that. I agree with you 100%. And then your bread and butter. You'll have the NFL draft to get upgrades on this team. You will. Um, what would you, if you were, if you were attacking the NFL draft for the Bucks, and I know we have a couple months after the loss yesterday, what do they need to address in the draft? I mean, it, it's trenches, man. It's like you said at the, at the top, it, they, there was not enough pass rush yesterday. You cannot survive if you can't get pressure with four guys, it, you, yes. you know, blitz when you need to and when you can, but if you can't get pressure with four, you're going to struggle at some point, especially the deeper you go in the season, the deeper you go into the playoffs and the better the quarterback you play, you have got to be able to get pressure with four. And unfortunately, Shaq Barrett, you know, he hasn't really been the same since the Achilles injury. He's going to be able to, they're going to be able to save quite a bit of money if they move on from him in the offseason. So I expect that to happen. Obviously, we'll miss him around here in the locker room as a teammate. And uh, that, that 2019 season was, was special. And he's, he's been a, such a great part of the locker room. Uh, but financially, I, I think they won't bring him back next year. But that means you're, you know, you're looking at Joe Tryon Shoyenka, who's been inconsistent at best. You're looking at a rookie in Yaya Diaby, who, who was, I think, tied for the lead or second in, in sacks by rookies this year with seven and a half. And you got Anthony Nelson, and you really need another, another premier pass rusher. And so that's, that's what I think will be at the top of their list for the draft. The interior of the offensive line, I think, it needs a lot of help. I think both tackle spots are solid. I think Cody Malk made huge leaps as, as the right guard from, from week one, starting as a rookie to the rest of the year. Um, but center and, and left guard, I think, is, there are two spots where they really need to upgrade. And after that, you need another safety to pair with, with Antoine Winfield Jr. You might need another corner. Uh, you got Jamel Dean and, uh, and Carlton Davis. Carlton Davis going into the last year of his current deal, and he actually doesn't have any guaranteed money left on his. So if they needed to save some money, they could save some money there. Um, linebacker, Levante David's a free agent, so is Devin White. You know, I don't expect Devin White to come back, and I, I expect that if, if Levante does, again, he'll be a one-year-at-a-time rental at this point in his career, even though he's still playing like he's 26, still one of the best in the game. Um, you know, that's that's where I think they look. Again, maybe some depth at receiver, but, again, I, I expect Evans back. Godwin's going into the last year of his deal. I think it's pass rusher, and I think it's interior offensive lines where they need to start. That was awesome. You know that you did that off the top of your head. That was fantastic. <laughs> I'm gonna take. Hey, it's not like I, I, I've I've written all of those things many many times, so they are kind of front no. of mind. Uh, but but yeah. No, I'm gonna take. All right, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take that audio right there. Then once we finish the draft, I'm gonna replay that. And then right when we start in the opener in the fall, I'm gonna replay that audio right there and see what happens. So it's gonna be. All right, you're on. You're um, on. I think top priority, you sign Mike Evans and you sign Baker Mayfield. Do you agree? You know, the most interesting quote that I heard yesterday in the, in the press conferences came from Baker Mayfield. And he said, basically, while he was talking about, you know, 
you know, if I'm back, I want Mike to be back. And, you know, we basically talking about what I just said, which is that they, they can all feel like something is building there and they're building something special. And he said a, a, a set of words that I thought was indicative of, of his plan. And he said, sacrifices will have to be made. And I think, I think to me, that communicates to me that, you know, sure, could I go get maybe another $5 million a year somewhere else and maybe get an extra year on a longer-term deal somewhere else? Maybe. But I think what it communicated to me is I like this offense. I like Dave Canales. I like this system. I like these players. I like this locker room. This is a place that took a chance on me. I took a chance on them, and, and we both it worked out for both of us. And I think the Bucks are going to reward him with a hefty raise. Yes. But I think he, he realizes that his best shot to continue what he built this year for himself as much as the team is to make sure that him, him not trying to break the bank at the expense of Mike Evans, at the expense of Levante David, at the expense of upgrading the offensive line. I think he understands that an extra $5 million a year isn't worth it to him to try to go start over somewhere else where he won't have what he knows he has here, uh, and it'll help them be able to keep the guys that will continue to help them build on that, if that makes sense. So. I think that was an, I think that was a revelatory statement that he made yesterday where, where he understands that, listen, we're trying to win games. We're not all just trying to pad our, our bank accounts here. And, and I think that's going to permeate the locker room. I think that's, you're going to see guys want to stay and keep building on what they built this year. I think about back last offseason when he signed with the Bucks, and you, me, and I, you and I were talking about it on air. That guy's comeback player of the year. I think he saved his career, talking about Baker Mayfield. And some of those throws he made in the postseason – I think he finally is starting to figure it out at this level. I, I think this is the guy. I think he is the face of the Buccaneers moving forward. Like he's the quarterback and I'm happy for him. And I think he can get better. I, I'm thinking high on this guy going to the offseason. Do you feel that way, Luke? Yeah, I do. And again, think about the fact that they're going to have a full offseason in yes. this offense. If he comes back, they're going to have a full offseason, the full preseason and it's not going to be starting from square one trying to learn the language of the scheme trying to install all these day one things that they're not going to know yet they're going to be able to build on all of that knowledge that they built this year it's not going to be fresh and and brand new to them so i I think baker could be even better next year because he'll have a, a better handle on the offense the guys will know what to expect in the locker room from his leadership which, again, I thought was a huge reason why they did so well as a team this year. They really gravitated to him, and, and he led so well uh, in the way that he knows how to do it. Uh, and they embraced, I think, his personality, and I think it fit the team and where the franchise is at really, really well. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he's got, he's got more room to improve, and I think that, that, that he knows that Tampa Bay is the, is the place right now where he, ha- he can play his best football, and I think that'll, that'll be a huge reason why I think he'll be back. Didn't he start last season with Carolina? Is that where he was? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah then started in- with Carolina. Eventually asked for his release, I think, ended up uh, with the Rams the rest of the way. I think Ed, eight head coaches in six years, man. Uh, that's that's one of the rid- most ridiculous stats I've ever seen. Okay. I know the season's over for your Buccaneers, but let's get to the NFC Championship game. What do you think of this matchup between San Francisco and Detroit then? I mean, I'm looking forward to it as much from a talent standpoint as a, as a scheme standpoint. I'm really looking forward to watching these play callers go at each other. Kyle Shanahan and Steve Wilkes on the, on the San Francisco side, Ben Johnson and Aaron Glenn, who I mentioned earlier. All these guys are head coach candidates for a reason. Shanahan's already a head coach, but the other three, um, you know, these guys are, are masters of the craft and they have the, the, the weapons on both sides of the ball. There's so much talent. Um, it's, 
it should be a really, really fun game. Obviously, I think selfishly as a football fan, I'm pulling for the Lions just because I love pulling for the underdog and love pulling for teams who have never uh, never won a Super Bowl, never made it to the Super Bowl. So I'd love to see the Lions go in there and get the upset. Is Goff another guy that saved his career by going to Detroit? Oh, 100%. 100%. Everything I just said about Baker Mayfield, you could easily apply that to, to Jared Goff and what he's done in Detroit. And, and again, just as a pure football fan, uh, you know, uh, that is so so well-deserved, both for Jared Goff, for that franchise, for that fan base. Um, it, uh, the the Bucks part of it being removed from it, I, I'm yeah. really happy for him uh, and what he's been able to do. And, and to be able to beat the Rams on the way, right, to, to, to beat Matthew Stafford and the Rams in Detroit on the way to, to accomplishing what they have this year has to be extra sweet. But, yeah, good for him. So the trade was, in hindsight, Matthew Stafford for two first-round picks and then was Goff just thrown in? <laughs> to the the trade. I as think well. he was thrown in from the Rams side of things, and I don't think he was thrown in from the from the Lions side of things. And again, that, that's a win win deal. The, yes. the, Lions, the Rams won it right away because they got their guy and they won the Super Bowl. And you know, just like in Tampa Bay, you know, whether it was with you know John Gruden back in the day or whether it was with Tom Brady this time, we win the Super Bowl. Everything else is is gravy. Like everything that it took, everything you sacrificed, everything you gave up, everything you risked is worth it when you get the ring. And, and again, that trade was a win for the Rams right away, and now that trade is continuing to be a win uh, for the Lions, not just because of, of what Jared Goff has done, but what they've done with the, the draft picks and what they've done to build around him. Um, again, a, a very rare win-win trade, and, and you'd love to see the Lions kind of finish it out and get a ring of their own to match it up. Okay, speaking of the Lions for the draft, it feels like you and me our whole adult lives, they've been in the draft at the top of the board. The last mm-hmm. three drafts, Luke Easterling with Athlon Sports, did they finally hit on all these picks to help them get this far? They did, and again, that's why, you know, when you look around that, that organization and try to assign credit for what's happened, Brad Holmes, the general manager, deserves a ton of it, and part of that is because he took a lot of grief this past class in particular. All the people out there were like, oh, well, positional value, you don't take a running back in the top 15, and you don't take an off-ball linebacker in the first round anymore, and you don't take a tight end in the second round. Yeah, well, he, he pretty much shot all that to hell, I'd say, with Jameer Gibbs and Jack Campbell and Sam Laporta and the way those guys have played. Um, so, yeah, Brad, Brad Holmes is uh, is uh, sipping some tea uh, very happily over all the people who uh, criticize. I don't even remember how bad I criticized him. I probably had some nasty things to say about that draft class, too. Who knows? But uh I mean, he, he's the last one laughing right now for sure. Brad Holmes has done a hell of a job. The Bama wide receiver they took, what's his name? Um, Williams. 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 So was he, did they know, like, he was injured going into the draft, right? So that was a gamble going with him. It was a, it was a gamble, but even then, that was a deal that was, that we were all really quiz, quizzical about from the Minnesota standpoint. They traded up from 33 or 34 to 11 or 12, I think it was, mm. and really didn't give up much at all. I think he gave up a two to jump up like almost into the top ten. So that I mean, even that deal, Brad Holmes was was very shrewd in his uh, in his operations going back to that draft as well, and it's paying off. Okay, this is the debate question now in hindsight. I think the Jaguars should have taken Aiden Hutchinson with the first pick. Now I know Tra- oh, yeah. I, Trayvon Walker put up some stats, but I think they completely botched that first pick. Uh, the Jags. I mean, to be honest, that's those are the kind of picks that people were worried about. Trent Baalke being being in charge of that franchise and, and and roster building. That I think Doug Peterson is a great head coach. I think they already had some talent, but Trent Baalke is is spotty at best in, in draft history when it comes to evaluating the talent. And 
And again, that draft really didn't have a, a slam dunk number one overall pick like we have a lot of the time. But it felt like if you were going to have an, a sure thing, instant impact type of guy over the guy like Trevon Walker, who, again, incredible athlete, rare athlete, can move all around the defensive line, can do a lot of things athletically. You know, I think Aiden Hutchinson was a better football player that on draft day that year. I think he's a better football player today. I think the numbers bear that out. And again, not that Trayvon Walker still doesn't have a lot of room to grow and, and flashed a lot of ability this year, but it's hard not to watch what Hutchinson has done from, from a pro ready standpoint and how he impacts how people um, are, are, and again, he's doing it. You know, Trayvon Walker put up numbers this year, but he's also lining up across from Josh Allen, who should be in the running for defense player of the year. Aiden Hutchinson doesn't have that guy on the other side. So he's creating that for himself. And I think that's part of the conversation as well. Let's end with this here. Luke Eastling with Athlon Sports. I started my show with this and I have to give you credit because you still have it on Twitter. You said, I take Lamar Jackson with the first pick in the draft. Um, that guy was told maybe you should change positions. And now he might be the guy that has to stop the Kansas city chiefs. What do you think of the evolution of Lamar Jackson as we're getting ready for Sunday then? I mean, honestly, I, I look at it two ways. I, I think I look at it, and, and I'm I'm so happy for Lamar because he stuck to his guns, and 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 I give his mom credit. His mom has operated as as his manager, agent, going back even to his high school days, where teams were recruiting him to switch positions and wanted him to play receiver, wanted him to play something other than quarterback. And he and his mom were like, "Nope, we're going to go where he is going to play quarterback. And if you don't want to do that, you need not apply." And the same thing happened with the draft. People wanted him to run the 40 and do all these receiver drills and everything like that. And he and his mom, and they took, they took some grief for that. They were yeah. like, oh, he's not team friendly. He's not a good teammate because he doesn't want to do whatever it takes to help the team. No, they, they understood the history of that position and the history of, to be frank, black quarterbacks not being pigeonholed because of their athleticism into playing a different position because people did not think that that type of quarterback play and that style and that skill set would be effective at the NFL level. And, and it feels like, I mean, you look back and there've been some, some guys who have broken through in a little in, in other ways. Michael Vick did it. Randall Cunningham did it. Yeah. You know, there have been some guys, but it feels like Lamar was maybe finally the guy that convinced the majority of the NFL, you know, maybe even subconsciously that, Hey, all these other guys think about how many other quarterbacks, if they had gotten the same kind of opportunity, we wouldn't be having this conversation. It would be far more. It would have been far more normal long before Lamar Jackson that this type of quarterback could be successful. So on one hand, I'm super excited and I'm glad Lamar again stuck to his guns and, and refused to to be moved off of his spot because I think that's a huge reason why he is where he is because he just refused to take no for an answer. And and it also makes me kind of kind of sad for how many how many versions of Lamar Jackson we never got to see because those guys had to be moved to different positions because the NFL just wasn't willing to think outside of their box. Uh, and and those those missed opportunities do bother me. And then this pass off season, Luke, he was available, and people are like, "Nah, forget it. We don't want Lamar Jackson. <laughs> we don't want him." Yeah, I mean, there's there's two sides to that as well. I think it it really would have hamstrung teams to put all their eggs in that basket and then yeah. just have the Ravens match the offer sheet because then you you've locked up your your draft picks, you've locked up the amount of money you have to kind of set aside to sign into that offer sheet which means if they do match it, then you can't go get somebody else because it's too late. There was an element of that to it, but, man, there's a few teams out there I would have been – that were, should have been desperate enough to do it anyway just in case it, that, you know something I, happened and they were able to get them. I, it would have been worth the risk if I was a few of those teams. All right, so here's my thing. Okay, you look at Tim Tebow, who was a first-round pick and he never should have been. 
he never had the arm talent. Like, he was great at Florida. He was. He's an all-time college football player. You see his arm mechanics, and he did not have a rocket. You look at that tape of Lamar Jackson now in hindsight. The guy is a cannon of an arm, and no one can tackle him in the open field. It's preposterous. See, I'll use a big word as well, Luke. See, I can do it. It's preposterous. <laughs> like, it's, like, you watch. Go ask Florida State if Lamar Jackson could play at a high level. Like, it's just so stupid to think about. And the Ravens were it the is. team. It is. It is. And look, it is. I mean, and I, I wrote about it. I wrote about it back then because the same stupid tropes that we heard back then we're still hearing now. We all, we saw Bill Polian just the other day. I you have a lot of respect for Bill and the work he did as a GM, but he was still talking about, you know, all you have to do is keep Lamar in the pocket and you'll be fine. That is not true in any, in any stat, any metric, any film breakdown. He will destroy you from the pocket. And that has always – go back to his Louisville film. I wrote about it when I was at DraftWire USA Today back in 2018, and I broke down the film, and I showed all the tight window throws and all the throws from the pocket and the way he was picking defenses apart. That has been true since that year in Louisville. So it, that's what makes me laugh is that people are still all of a sudden shocked that he can win from the pocket, and it's just it's, – it's hilarious to me because he's always done it. And, and the follow-up? So that Ryan Pace guy, my Bears, he saw Mitch Trubisky throw the ball and did not realize that he can't go to his left and throw the ball. And then you see those throws last night by Mahomes. Those, I mean, he is under the highest level of pressure a quarterback can be, and he's flicking the ball like it's a Nerf football when we were growing up and hitting Kelsey in the It's It's so stupid to think about now that, like, and I will say this, Cleveland should have taken Patrick Mahomes with the first pick as well. I don't care. Uh, you got uh, Miles Garrett who's going to go to the Hall of Fame. There were multiple teams that could have taken Mahomes at number one. It's ridiculous. You, you know, the, the worst stat I, I saw today is Josh Allen is 5-1 and one in the playoffs against everybody but Patrick Mahomes. Oh. He is 0-4 against Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. You have any idea what team traded down from number ten overall oh so that God. the Chiefs could draft Patrick Mahomes? Who? It was the Buffalo Bills. Oh man! Oh man! Hey, remember uh, the Browns had the first pick and didn't want Goff or Wentz and said, "Now nah, we don't nope. like these guys." It's so wild to think about now. It really is. And by the way, Brock Purdy. When you looked at Twitter, he was getting destroyed for three hours. Okay, Saturday night. Well, Brock Purdy made the plays and won that game. Okay? I'm sorry. What? He did. He won the game. What can we check out with your coverage, buddy, moving forward? Hey, well, obviously it's full draft season for everybody but four teams. So come on over to SI.com slash NFL slash draft. Uh, we got all your mock drafts. We got rankings coming out. Uh, we'll have scouting reports as well. Um, yeah, every, everything from a draft perspective. And then you get all your breaking news and, and analysis over at AthlonSports.com as well. Will you come back to recap the Super Bowl with me in a couple weeks? Absolutely, man. Wouldn't have it any other way. And do we need to go to the Pro the, not the Pro Bowl? Do we need to go to the NFL draft in person? Do we need to go one year? <laughs> do we need I to do I would love it? to go one year. I might have to wait until it's not my job. It's a lot easier to actually get my job done when I'm not there physically, believe it or not. So in the year twenty fifty seven we can go? Is that it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sounds that way. Hopefully, hopefully, I'll be gainfully employed that long. I'll, I'll take that. But uh, one of these days. Thanks for your help, man. I'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Okay. Hey, anytime, Mark. Enjoy your week, buddy. Yeah, you.